we are still talking about rest, which is really cool. Um, we actually have this, this, this week, and then next week we've got a youth service, so break from the series, and then the final one the week after that. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, I wonder if you had to pick one word to describe Jesus, what word would it be? There's this story of an interaction between Dallas Willard. He's a guy I've been reading a lot. Um, he's a, a teacher, sort of philosopher, and, and did a lot of stuff around spiritual formation. And he asked that question to one of his kind of disciples or followers or apprentices, uh, mentees, whatever we call it, one day. And, and he just got this guy thinking. So he said, what's, what's one word if you could use to describe Jesus? What would it be? Maybe just have a think. What would it be? Maybe... Lord, or maybe love, uh, maybe God. But Dallas Willard kind of just sat there for a while. He's just sort of just letting this guy think. And then he gave his one word to describe Jesus. And it was this. Oh, it doesn't work. Relax. This is interesting. He said Jesus was relaxed. Kind of a strange picture to think of him like that. Kind of might, maybe not is maybe not the default sort of way that we think of Jesus as being someone who's relaxed and and I don't know about being that the main word but in that sort of lesson is is sort of the word he was he was highlighting that actually we kind of often hurry and maybe we even think of God as hurry but actually God is not God's actually quite relaxed it's interesting going through this um, guy Alan Fadling wrote this after waiting thirty years to begin his ministry so Jesus didn't start till he was thirty. All these needs, all these people, he could have healed them, but he, he waited until he was 30 to start. And then he started by going out, and his first ministry act was to follow the Spirit for 40 days into the wilderness. This is powerful. Jesus has this powerful encounter when he gets baptized. God, God speaks. And again, there's all this need, there's all this opportunity, but Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days. <laughs> like... like and then there's other times that his own brothers urged him to do some publicity if he wanted to be a public figure. There's this, this thing he, they, they said to Jesus, you should go to like the, the, the festival and you should do something really amazing so people see who you are. And Jesus said, no, my time hasn't come. And he's, he's not in a rush. Um, he seemed frustratingly unhurried on his way to visit the synagogue official's daughter. There's this story when a man comes to ask Jesus to come and heal and Jesus just takes his time. There's another lady who needs healing. He, he heals her, then he's talking to her. And then this guy comes and says, my daughter's died. And Jesus is not worried and goes and she's raised from the dead. To visit, also to visit his sick friend Lazarus, who died during Jesus' two-day delay. And he finds out his friend's sick. He just takes his time. He dies. doesn't bother Jesus. His sense of timing often puzzled those around him. A lot of the times people are putting pressure on him. To, 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 there's, there's all these needs, there's all these issues, there's all these things, but Jesus is relaxed. He doesn't accept that pressure to hurry. And particularly in this story we just read, there's this storm. And these are fishermen. Like they, they know what it's like on, a, on, the, on the lake or on the, the sea. Like they know they're in danger. These are, these are experienced guys. And they're freaking out. They think they're going to die and Jesus is asleep. <laughs> He's just having a nap. He's not worried at all. And they, they, they get almost upset at him. Don't you care? Like, we're going to drown. And Jesus is just not faced. He's actually quite relaxed. 
But that's not really what we're like most of the time. <laughs> and even maybe me saying that, maybe, maybe that even sort of seems a bit strange, like Jesus relaxed. Like we kind of don't really think of relaxed as a really good thing. Like <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, we like the idea of being relaxed and Aussies like we like to be laid back. But if someone's too relaxed, like you kind of think maybe they're a bit lazy. Maybe they should be doing more. Like it's kind of not really, like to be slow, to go slow, to be unhurried, just to be patient is kind of a negative thing <laughs> in our culture. Like we, we have this more mantra, like work hard, like there's lots to do, go, do your work, like go above and beyond. And then when you have a day off, make sure you don't waste it. Like if you have holidays, go travel. Or if you have a day off, make sure you do something fun and entertaining, like catch up on TV shows, go see the, fam- like the latest movie. Like you need to do stuff. From- our culture kind of pushes both to the extreme, often work, achievement, and then consumption, whether that's entertainment or whether it's travel or there's holidays or, or whether it's social, but it's like the idea of stopping or going slow is quite countercultural to, to just what is seen as acceptable or good. Um, and it's interesting as well because even in our world, I think um, like the last few decades with lots of increases in technology, it, it seems like the kind of belief was if we have more devices that help us to do things quicker and easier, we will have more time to rest and relax, which makes logical sense that, that if, if you can now just type something on a computer, like you don't have to handwrite it, if you can like just call people, you don't have to travel, like, like that really we should have all this time to just chill and relax. But actually what happened was now we can do things faster, so now we just do more. <laughs> Now people just work longer hours. Now people just, just consume more things because um, we want more money or we want more entertainment. Instead of it being like, actually, we can do this faster, so let's just have a break, it's actually now we have no break ever. <laughs> now the shops never close. Now, now network is never finished. Now you can always be working at work, in, at home, in your bed, on your email, wherever you are. It's just endless now. And so we live in a culture that's kind of work hard, play hard, and at the same time it's kind of non-stop and fast-paced, and that's even seen as good. To be busy is good. And if someone says, are you busy, and you say, no, not really, it's probably like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like it's kind of like, like there's something wrong with you. Like, you should be busy. Like, but it's interesting, because that's, that, that, that's not really what we see in Jesus. Again, it's interesting. There's a difference between being busy which means maybe having lots of things on or to attend to and being hurried, which is more an inner state of pressure or anxiety. And Jesus, in probably a lot of ways, Jesus was busy, but he wasn't hurried. He wasn't rushed. He didn't feel this pressure. So we live in a nonstop, fast-paced world, and we need, therefore, practices. Today is called practicing rest. And we need things that we can do to help us to stop and rest so that we can live at an unhurried pace like Jesus. Because the natural flow like of, of just our world that we're in, kind of Western, um, yeah, 2019, is going to push us to be busy, um, to be, have full pressure to achieve, to go nonstop, to consume nonstop, and just to be like frazzled and anxious. That's kind of going to happen without trying. Like, so just wake up and turn on the news and turn on the TV. That's going to happen without any effort at all. Like, what we need is things that we can do to help us go against the tide, 
things that actually shape us and form us to be people who are like, more like Jesus and not hurried, uh, relaxed, at rest in God. Be people who can live in a world that's just like this crazy storm and we can just sleep and we can just be at peace and we can, we can um, be just aware of God and at work with God and, and, and not just feeling this pressure all the time. So what we actually need is practices. So it's not just that we believe that God has rest for us, but we actually need to do certain things as a way of forming us and shaping us. So some, another word for this is spiritual disciplines. Um, and the, the idea is that there's actually things that we do, and it's not, the point is not to do them. Just the same way when you go to the gym, the point is not to lift weights. The point is to grow strength. And lifting weights is the means to grow strength. So the same, we need things that we can do. The point is not to do them. The point is that they're ways that help us and shape us and grow us to be people more like Jesus who are at rest. So what we're going to do is just look at um, two practices today um, and, and think through a little bit like what would it look like to actually do these and then maybe some sort of objections and why it would be hard um, as well. So firstly, let's just have a look. There's some really interesting verses about Jesus' practices. The first one is even in that passage that we read before that says, leaving the crowd behind. Jesus had all these crowds and, and he leaves them. He, he says, we're going to go over here. Crowds are probably pretty demanding. <laughs> like They want Jesus to do certain things and Jesus leaves them behind. And they say, we're going to go over here in the boat. And that happens multiple times as well, Jesus would go and get time alone with his father. This is Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so there's people everywhere back then, and there's all these people interested in Jesus. But he wanted and needed time alone with his father. So he would get up really early when everyone else is asleep. He'd go up a mountain or go out somewhere by himself, and he would pray. He'd get up really early, so no one else is around, and have time with his father. It says this in Mark 6, Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. They're busy. There's all these people around, all these needs around. But Jesus says to his followers, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So again, all this opportunity, all these needs, but Jesus says, we need to go and have a break. <laughs> we need to go away. We need to come and rest. So they went away by themselves to a boat, to a solitary place. It's interesting, that story, that they're on their way to that, and the crowd's sort of come and intercept them, and they don't get much of a break. But, but they're, they're trying to get away, not just be consumed with the needs and the crowd all the time. It says this in Luke 5. The news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him. And he healed them of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus had all this fame, all these people wanting his attention. But what he constantly did was leave them behind and go and spend time with his father. It's interesting, John Ortberg says this, We seem to spend most of our time trying to draw and crowds and please crowds. Jesus seemed to spend much of his getting away from them. <laughs> Jesus didn't need to draw crowds. There were crowds. What he constantly did was moved away from them and actually spent time alone with his father. He would get, get, get somewhere alone, somewhere quiet, and just spend time with God. He didn't want to just, just feel the pressure of the crowd and be pulled into what they wanted. 
but he was attentive to his father and what he wanted and following that. So the first practice today is that we actually pattern our lives on, on Jesus and what he did. And actually a great practice is to prioritize time alone with our father, like, like Jesus did. That in the midst of a busy world that's going to you know, pull us just to sort of be distracted or working all the time, it, it, to have time to actually just be with God. And, and sometimes, and this isn't necessarily like just quick read some Bible, read a devotional, like done for the day, like actually be with God. And we do it through those things, but it's about being with him. It requires a decision and an intention and, and, a, and a habit to be formed. And actually this, by actually spending time out, time to just stop, time to like Jesus, come away and rest and actually just be with the Father and talk to him is actually something that can shape us. And remember, actually, that's right. He's God. He's in control. I can rest and trust in him. It's actually a need to stop. So like Jesus, it might look like this. It might look like going somewhere alone. Um, it probably that does need to be alone sometimes. It can be with other people, but, but solitude, actually just, just you and God alone, is an important spiritual practice as well. Um, it probably needs to be somewhere quiet. And it doesn't have to be, but often a good idea is in nature. Um, going somewhere outside, somewhere you can be by yourself, somewhere that's reasonably quiet, and just spending time with God. Spending time maybe just sitting and resting with Him. And again, that, that might be an easy thing for some people. That might, be, that might just sound impossible for other people. Maybe, maybe because it's just daunting being by yourself. Or maybe because it's just like if you think about your schedule, you think, how on earth is that possible? And, and depending on life stage and circumstances, there there's probably needs to be to experiment and to be creative and to work out what will work. But, but a practice of, of finding that somewhere, even if it's only a small amount of time, even for those who are the most busy, probably need that the most, <laughs> to be able to stop and rest with the Father. Um, a couple of just practical ideas around that. There's a, there's a guy named Peter Scazzaro who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spiritual, and he talks about stopping like this, and so he gives he gives just four kind of ways of what that could look like with you spending time with God. He says the first is just stopping, and and I guess that's a physical stopping, but it's also a kind of mental stopping and just saying this is time to just stop and be. This is not because it's easy just to sort of rush in. Okay, I've done the prayer for the day. I've done the like I've done the bow. Like you're just still going. You're not really stopping, but to actually stop for for even just a, five minutes. And just be, and be with God. He talks about centering. This is the idea of slowing down. Um, it might just look like sitting in a chair and sitting still. The idea of being still and being with God. Maybe just focusing on breathing and not even needing to say anything. He talks about silence. Actually just maybe sitting in silence for five minutes with God. And just, just focusing on Him. Not needing to think and just becoming aware of his presence and just kind of just letting the anxiety and the rush just sort of settle and slow down. And he talks about using scripture to hear, hear God and to listen and to sort of center back on him and his story. And there's just a few practical things. There's heaps of stuff out there to, to help do that. But to, I guess, think like what, what is realistic in, in your life stage, in your circumstances to have time alone with the Father and what is helpful for that is it, is it outside is it early in the morning is it late at night when everyone's gone to sleep is it 
Is it, is it reading a devotional? What, what is it? But just that there's, there's something because it won't happen without a decision, without a, without a, a practice is the idea. It's actually something you've got to decide to do and, and feel, form a habit. Um, so time alone with Father is really important. This is, again, about Jesus in the midst of a busy schedule activity. So Jesus was very busy, <laughs> healing, suffering people, casting out devils, responding to impatient disciples, traveling from town to town and preaching from synagogue to synagogue. We can find these quiet words in the morning, long before dawn, he got up and left the house and went off to a lonely place and prayed there. So Jesus is more busy probably than any of us, <laughs> more pressure than any of us. He's got like three years to accomplish this huge mission and he makes a massive priority on, on, on even sacrificing sleep to come and be with his father. In the lonely place, Jesus finds the courage to follow God's will and not his own, to speak God's words and not his own, to do God's work and not his own. It is in the lonely place where Jesus enters into intimacy with the Father that his ministry is born. That's Henry Nouwen. That, 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 that was such a priority for Jesus that he needed. And if that was such a priority for Jesus, it, it, it needs to, it's such a priority for us to be able to follow and, and be like him, but also to be able to stay centered in God. What won't happen unless there's actually time set aside for that. So that's the first practice time alone with our father second practice will go through so this idea again as we we're reading that jesus is just at rest <laughs> like there's a storm it says a score i didn't even know what a score was i thought that was a spelling mistake when i read that <laughs> it's like this like <laughs> it's actually that's, what, that's the niv so it's like a like a wind sort of localized storm thing um so it's crazy we're waves but jesus is asleep like like wild stuff going on, but he's resting. This is this idea of revolutionary resting. It's like, like the, the circumstances are not conducive to rest, but Jesus is at rest. And as we talked about um, at the start, we talked about God who rests. Like when God created the world in Genesis, he creates it six days. And on the seventh day it, 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 in Genesis 2, it says that God had finished the work he'd been doing so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. He blessed the seventh day, made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. It's that God, God works and then rests. And the interesting thing is that humans are created on the sixth day. So humans, their first day is rest. The seventh day is rest. So we start with rest. And then they would go on to work and, 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 and follow and cultivate the garden. But it starts with rest. Then as the story went on, we talked about how God actually gives them this idea of the Sabbath day. It says, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. So Israel for, for hundreds of years were slaves. They never get a day off, never get rest, making bricks every day. And God rescues them from Egypt. That the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God gave them this gift of a day of rest. And he reminds them, you're not slaves. You're my people. So you don't have to work all the time. Rest for a day and trust me and delight in me and enjoy the good things and, and, and stop. And we talked about how that, that Sabbath was a, was a sign pointing towards Jesus. And now we find rest in Jesus. But that there's still this principle of work and rest. But again, in our culture, 
to, to have rest and is not really something that happens. And most of the time, there's just this pressure to do, to actually work, maybe even work all the time, not ever have a day off or holidays. Or maybe it's work and then when there's time off, it's consumed, but it's actually not restful. It's kind of numbing. It's kind of like, the, the, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of the, the, the culture can be quite anxious. And when we're anxious, it's this work, work, do more. We need to keep doing to get it done so that we'll be okay. But it's never done. So then we have to escape and numb the feelings of anxiousness. So we sort of escape to some kind of rest, but it's not restful. And then we come back and it's this cycle of anxiousness. This guy, Alan Fadling, says, the cultural cycle of drivenness and escape is a counterfeit to the more biblical rhythm of work and Sabbath. At the heart of the culture cycle is anxiety. And anxiety drives us to do, do, and then do some more. When you're anxious, the idea of stopping is scary. <laughs> because when you're anxious, you want to fix it. You want to do it. You want to control it. But to actually stop normally like makes us realize that we're anxious and actually can bring us back to a place of rest and work, not, not drivenness and escape. So this principle, like we, we talked about in the, at the start, that like the Sabbath is fulfilled by Jesus, but if we have rest in Jesus, we still need to actually rest. There's still a principle and a practice of a rhythm of work and rest. This isn't like a law, like you have to rest on Saturday, you have to rest on Sunday. It's, it's that our lives, in order to, to, again, stay in this place of unhurried and rest, need a rhythm of work and rest. And maybe a better way to put it is even rest and work. We rest in God, and then we work, and there's fruitfulness. And then we rest in God, and then we work. It's not when the work gets done, we rest, because otherwise it's never done. Uh, that's what um, this guy here says. Sabbath requires surrender, this idea of rest. If we only stop when we are finished with all our work, we will never stop, because our work is never completely done. This is this idea. Even if it's not done, we surrender it to God. And we stop and we rest. And again, this looks like different for different people. Um, Tam and I have been experimenting with having a day of rest for like the last two years. And we just do it Friday night to Saturday night. Um, we go on a date Friday night, Saturday, we just rest. I like going for a run. I find restful, so I go for a run. Um, we just sit, spend time reading, spend time in prayer, spend time in worship, maybe have a nap. Just, just have a day where it's kind of like, okay, this is the day to rest. This is the day just to stop, to align and come back to God. That, that will look different for different people, but, but some kind of principle of work and rest. And it might include these, these things. It, it, again, the idea of, of stopping, of saying, okay, this is time to rest. Because otherwise, if we don't do that, the pull is just going to be to work. Like, have a day off, what can I get done? I need to get all these jobs done on my day. Like, and that's good too, but there also needs to be time to say, actually, this now is time to stop. Is just to cease work mode, just to enter rest mode, and, and just sleep, or maybe just sit, or just go and, and, and sit and, and be outside, or go for a slow walk or, or something to rest. It's also, this, this principle of, of Sabbath is, is also this day to delight, to actually enjoy God's things. If we're always working, or like the like Israel, the slaves in Egypt, there's no time to just enjoy God's gifts. Enjoy some good food. Enjoy sleeping. Enjoy God's creation and just spend time thanking Him for it or, or enjoying relationships and just being present with people. It's actually a day to delight 
and remember who God is and, in, and enjoy and receive it with thankfulness. And, and as well to contemplate, to, to center back on him. It's a day to worship, to rest, to, to relax. And again, it doesn't have to be a certain day. It doesn't have to be a whole day, but a, a principle of work and rest, a rhythm of life. Because if, if our life is just work all the time, eventually there will be rest, but it'll probably be because of sickness or, or like breakdown or something. Like something will catch up. Because there's this principle of life of we're meant to rest and work and rest and work, um, like God demonstrates in the, in the creation. So that's our second practice, a rhythm of work and rest. They're saying these are two things in a nonstop, fast-paced world. We need practices to help us stop and rest so we can slow down, we can live at an unhurried pace like Jesus. And just, there's others, but two key ones, I think, are time alone with God um, and, and a rhythm of work and rest. Even last year, when, um, when I started this interim role last year and I just felt like getting chucked in the deep end, uh, I said I had, I had a habit already of prayer in the morning and a day off to rest on Saturday. And I just said to myself, I just have to hold on to those two things. <laughs> If I can keep praying with God in the morning and I can keep resting on Saturday, I'll be okay. And it, and it was good just to be able to hold on to those things and say, okay, I, this is going to be busy and I need God even more. So I'm going to press into those things rather than say, we're too busy, we don't have time for God. Then that, that's when we go downhill. <laughs> that's when things get really bad. So, and it's interesting that, that this, this story with Jesus, he's asleep and they freak out and then he wakes up. And it says, he rebuked the wind and the waves. He says, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And Jesus highlights the issue, which we talked about, that rest is related to faith. Jesus can sleep because he knows who he is and he knows who God is. And he can see the storm through that lens, <laughs> whereas the disciples have forgotten who Jesus is, they've forgotten who God is, they've forgotten who they are. They just see this storm and they freak out. But Jesus has faith. He knows who he is. He trusts his Father. And he, he highlights that that's actually really the issue that the disciples have. The issue is not the storm. The issue is their faith. It's actually a heart issue. And that's the same for us. If we, if, if maybe even when I first heard people start talking about this this idea of, of rest or even taking a day to rest, I sort of thought like you're not actually you don't actually mean to actually do that. <laughs> like do you? like I heard this lady in Melbourne talk, talking about this, and as she kept talking, she was talking like she actually expected us to start to stop and actually rest. And I sort of thought you can't actually do that. Like I don't actually want to stop. And 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 she kept highlighting that actually no this is something that that we need to actually do and actually there's sometimes like this inner thing that says nah I can't do that like I can't stop like I can't rest like I need to keep going but actually there's a heart thing going on there and there might be a few objections one might be if I stop to rest I'll fall apart you might feel that like I can't I can't stop I used to be like this. I used to teach and, and I would be great at work and I'd go on the holidays and I'd fall apart. Like, like life was work. And, and that's really the heart issue. If that's sort of a, uh, an objection, the heart issue is an identity issue that is actually I am what I do. So if I'm working, I'm okay. If I stop, I'm not. And that's a problem. <laughs> 
that's not a good basis of identity. But again, that, that's kind of what the culture says in a lot of ways. You are what you do. So if you're not busy, if you don't have a, a job, if you're not being productive, then you have no value, which is just not true. It's a lie. But they're the messages that, that come out. Whereas the truth is, I am a son of God who has inherent value because I'm created in his image and redeemed by him no matter what I do. Like, it's completely opposite. Maybe another objection is if I stop and rest, I won't have enough. I, I need more money. I need to get more stuff done. I need to, to, to build a bigger house. I need to move up the ladder. I need to get the promotion. If I stop and rest, I won't have enough. And again, this is linked to a heart issue, which is I am what I have. I need this stuff. And if I don't have the stuff that I need, then who am I? Like, like it's, it's an identity issue. And again, to stop actually might highlight that. Or maybe another objection is if I rest, people will think I'm lazy. Again, particularly kind of our day and age. If I just sit around all day and just do nothing, <laughs> what are people going to think of me? If I, if I just take a holiday and just relax, what are people going to think of me? And again, if that's kind of a heart issue, again, it's this issue of I am what people think of me. I am my reputation is an identity issue. And actually, rest can be so powerful because when we stop, it can bring up this stuff. But actually, we've been starting to believe that I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what people think of me. And I've been pulled into that. And actually, sometimes when we stop and rest, we actually get really anxious because actually it's pulling against that. But that's good because that's not a good place to be. Actually, to recognize that and then release it and say, actually, that's not who I am. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people think of me. I am who God says I am and actually come back to that. This, this guy, Mark Buchanan, says Sabbath is about trust, about faith. This idea of Sabbath, when I say Sabbath, I mean stopping to rest. Sabbath is about turning over to God all those things, our money, our work, our status, our reputations, our plans, our projects that were otherwise tempted to hold tight in our closed fists, our own closed fists, hold on to for dear life. So if, if I'm talking and there's kind of this resistance, like, no, I can't stop, the, the invitation is to think about your heart, and is the reason we can't stop because we're holding so tight onto one of those things, and we don't want to let go and hold just onto God. So this practice, like one way to sort of think is we're just talking about rest, like it's just not that important. Another another way to think about this, when we're talking about rest, we're talking about a battle between the idols of the world and worshiping the one true God. That this is actually spiritual battle of being able to worship God and not get pulled into worshiping the things that our world worships and finds identity in. Um, Martin Luther actually says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. So there's things that we're holding on to and clinging to and need. It's actually an issue of worship. And it's actually a need to let go and come back and worship the one true God, the God who actually gives rest the God who is creator and redeemer, recognize he's God, we're not, and actually come back to trust in him. So this is a spiritual battle. It's actually an issue of worship and idolatry. It's interesting, this story finishes then with 
Jesus saying, peace be still. And the disciples were freaking out because of the storm. And now they're freaking out because of who Jesus is. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. That they're afraid because they're going to die from this storm. And Jesus just gets up and it's not a problem. And now they're afraid because they recognize who Jesus is. And just how powerful he is. And just they recognize him for who he is. And it actually makes them afraid because they see him. And again, that, 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 that's the, the issue. Is, is do we actually recognize who God is? Who Jesus actually is? And actually, maybe all the things that are demanding our attention and our time and our energy, compared to Him, they're nothing. Compared to Him, like they're not the things we need to, to focus on. We focus on Him. He's God. He's the Creator. Like, come back to rest and, and remember who He is and who we are. I almost finished. Just, just, I'll tell you this last story to finish. Um, in one of the books I've been reading, this guy tells a story from another author, and he talks about in America how... Um, in sort of the middle states when there's blizzards and, and so, snowstorms and whiteouts, um, it can get so intense that people will leave their house, like a farmer will leave, and they're in danger of not even getting back to their, the house because it's just so much a whiteout. Like they can't even see their hand in front of them. And there's even stories of farmers leaving the house to go to the barn and then getting lost in their own backyard and freezing to death, like, like they're wandering around and they're so close to their house but they can't find their way back and, they, and they, they die. So what they do is if you go outside in the whiteout for some reason, you have a rope and the rope goes back to the house and you hold on to the rope and you, don't, you can't let go of it because you need it to be able to get back. And, and this, this author who's talking about these practices says that th that's a similar analogy to these, these practices that actually we live in, in a whirlwind in a lot of ways and we're just going to get swept up in it and, and swept away so we can't see God, we can't remember who he is, we can't remember who we are. We actually need a rope that will direct us back to him, that will pull us back to rest in him, will pull us back to remind us who he is and who we are. And he says, he says particularly these two things, daily prayer and Sabbath, taking time to rest, is like the rope. It's things that we can do that keep us from getting lost, keep us from just getting washed away. He says this, this rope can be found in two ancient disciplines going back thousands of years. The daily, he calls it the daily office or daily prayer and Sabbath. When placed inside present day Christianity, daily prayer and Sabbath are groundbreaking countercultural acts against Western culture. They are powerful declarations about God ourselves, our relationships, our beliefs, and our values. He's saying this, to do these things we're talking about today, just simply spend time with our Father, to spend time to stop and rest are countercultural acts of worship that are actually really powerful declarations about who God is and who we are. So I just encourage you this week, maybe spend some time thinking about that. There may be lots of you already practiced that. And again, this is something that is about practicing. So you try it, it doesn't work, and <laughs> try it again. Try a way that works better. Like, learn a bit more, try again. It's about learning something and practicing and doing and talking and sharing so that we can actually grow in this, being able to be people who rest. So maybe if you guys want to come on back up to play, and I'll, I'll just pray, and then, then we'll finish off. And, and I encourage you to share, even to ever have morning tea today, share. If you've tried this, what's worked for you? What do you find hard about it? Um, 
maybe even someone, hey, can you help me to do this and I'll let me catch up next week and see if it worked or just let's encourage each other in this as well. So maybe let's maybe if we can stand together and um, if you're able and let's let's pray and then then we'll sing. So Father, we just thank you that you are our God, um, that you are not worried or anxious or hurried. You are at peace, you're patient, you're kind. And Father, we just ask for grace to enter your rest more and more. Um, yeah, particularly God, anyone who's just anxious today, just life is fast-paced and hectic. Father, we just pray for your peace ability just to slow down, to recognize you, to rely upon you. Would you just calm our hearts, Lord, and we just come back to you in your name. Amen.